everybody, welcome to episode 288 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about my topic today because it's a topic on which I get questions often and which may be hard to figure out as you navigate your own running journey, especially for those who might be operating without a coach, but even for those who might have a coach and still might have questions about how do I build volume over time? We know that running more is going to contribute to fitness over time, that miles matter, and that doing more easy volume over time from whatever your starting place is critical to reaching your full potential. But then the question becomes, how do I do that in a safe way that will allow me to stay healthy, to make sure those miles count, and then to have the longevity to be able to do it year after year through my running journey. So today I'm going to give you 10 tips to think about for building volume. This will be true for anybody really, those that are newer to running and learning about building volume now. And it'll also be true a lot of it for those that are more experienced who might be thinking about taking their volume to another level. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there, I've just got a couple of intro notes today. First of all, I couldn't do this episode without speaking about the unspeakable tragedy that we learned about last week and this week related to Eliza Fletcher, who was a mom in Memphis who was kidnapped and killed on her run last week. And I've struggled this week processing it all and finding the words to say because it is an unspeakable tragedy, an unspeakable act of violence that shouldn't have happened and shouldn't happen to anybody and and no one should be on a run where they're having to worry about something like that happening to them and obviously I have a lot of people near and dear to me that might be out on runs on their own early morning or at night after dark who are having to worry about something like this happening to them so it is it is a tough tough thing to process and I've struggled to find the right words but a few a few things for me today on that one is just Again, it's an unspeakable tragedy. My heart goes out to the family of Eliza Fletcher and to all those that know her and to all those that are impacted by the news of this tragedy because it's it's all of us at some level within the running community who can understand and relate to the feelings that are sad and deep in this situation. So that's number one. Number two... I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about runner safety and and how to think about runner safety this week and I'm not going to add to that chorus because I know there's plenty of tips out there about what to do if you're worried about your safety on a run. Instead, I'll just say that no one should have to worry about their safety on a run. They should be able to go out and run when they want, as far as they want, how they want, without having to be burdened by carrying pseudo weapons to protect themselves and so I do think we all need to ask ourselves not just as a running community but as a society how do we protect those that go out for runs and would have fear when doing it and that and that's a complex question but it gets to the core of issues with misogyny in our country with the male female power dynamic with 
violence and how it's managed and treated. It gets to the core of our criminal justice system. As we've learned that this suspect spent 20 years in prison for aggravated kidnapping and was released in 2020 and then came back and did this. And certainly there is no excuse for an act like this. And I only hope that he gets exactly what is coming to him. But also I know that we probably failed him too, in a sense, in that we had 20 years to help rehabilitate him in a prison system that's broken. And we didn't, we didn't do our job to help him work through whatever he's dealing with either. And that's a tragedy too. But again, he deserves anything coming to him. So don't for a second think I have any sympathy for him. But as a society, we have to ask ourselves, are we doing the things that we can do within our criminal justice system to make sure that this doesn't happen again and again from repeat offenders? So the issues are complex. But I read an article this week talking about how this is not a safety issue. This is a violence issue. And it would seem that Eliza was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she did nothing wrong here. She was doing exactly what she should be doing, enjoying her act of movement on a morning, and that nothing that happened to her is her fault. And so we have to all look in the mirror and say, what can we do to end violence like this? And as I said, the issues are complex and deep, but we've got to take steps there rather than just telling people to not run at night or not run at certain hours or to run with a friend or to have mace with them. And because that to me isn't the answer here and nobody should be sitting there, sitting in their place before their run, trying to figure out how to stay safe on a run. That's crazy to me. But I know that there are many that don't feel safe out on runs. I can tell you personally, as a white male, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been out for a run and I've been concerned for my safety. So it is very few times. And that is a privilege to be able to go out and move without having to worry about my safety. And yet I know that there are many, many women and many people of color that can't do that, that are in fear every single time They step out the door and I'm so saddened to know that that's our reality and we have to help again in violence and acts of harassment and racism that would make anyone feel unsafe on a run. So that's where our our focus should be, but I'm preaching to the choir there and the question I think that comes next from anybody in the community would be, what can I do if even as someone who's trying to advocate or those that might feel unsafe on a run. And I will start by talking to the men out there to say, first of all, just have empathy or try to have empathy for this situation because while you may not feel unsafe, many, especially women, do feel unsafe. So just understanding and having empathy for how this hits so much closer to home for them is an important first step. And then beyond that, doing everything that you can to make those around you feel comfortable and safe, which means if you're out on a run, give women plenty of space so they don't feel encroached upon or have fear because they don't know who you are and who your intentions are. Don't stare or ogle someone who might be running by you. Don't 
speed up when a woman passes you and follow her because you can't let your ego deal with the fact that someone from another gender passed you. Don't chase women. Don't pass women. Give them their space. Let them operate in their own independent running world apart from whatever ego or whatever concepts you might have in your head. So we can do things to help make those that would feel unsafe feel more comfortable. And I would say take all of those steps as a starting point. Second thing, speaking to that same group, is if you see men that are operating differently, whether that be in the context of running, whether that be in the context of making a misogynistic comment or joke or anything that would create an environment in our society that perpetuates this power dynamic between men and women that ultimately leads to violence. It's those innocent little comments from day to day that perhaps not in you, but perhaps in those that might tend towards violence might create a seed, plant a seed in their heart and their soul that would eventually lead them to do something like this. It's all related. It's all connected. So you can do your part to stand up, say something, nip that in the bud so that we can create an environment where all women, not just in the context of their runs, but in the context of just living, feel more comfortable, feel safer, don't feel objectified. So that's another step. And then beyond that, speaking to everybody, We just have to embrace and take care of each other in whatever form that looks like. It might mean being there as someone who can just talk and empathize with the feelings of this week. It could be banding together and going for runs together to have that camaraderie, not just that camaraderie, but obviously the idea that there's safety in numbers. It could be standing up and advocating in situations like I just talked about. Just be there for each other because we are not alone in this. And I know that isn't always practical that we can be side by side, but we can always be together and connected virtually in a way that's supportive, that helps people feel understood, and then ultimately empowered to help us all end violence so that there will be a day where we can all go out for runs and not worry about our safety. But again, my heart goes out to Eliza Fletcher and her family, sending all of the love I can that direction. I know my words here don't mean much, and I probably botched putting them together in the right way to communicate exactly how I feel, but I couldn't couldn't get through this episode without at least saying something because I know this situation is on the hearts and minds of many runners out there. All right. Last thing before we jump into my main topic is wanted to thank my sponsors for this episode. We've got Zencaster and Care Of sponsoring this episode. I'll be talking a little bit more about each of those as we get through the episode. So stay tuned for that information throughout. Well, let's jump in. Let's talk about building mileage. How can you safely build miles that will allow you to build towards your potential and maintain longevity as you progress as a runner? And for all of us, it's going to look a little bit different. 
but I've got 10 tips for you here that we'll step through so that you can hopefully figure this out. So let's talk about it. Number one, you got to think long term. You have to think long term. I know I've talked about this before in prior episodes, particularly on the running and longevity episode several episodes ago. But most of us think about our running journey in too short of a context. We want to go from zero to 60 right now because we we get excited and we get passionate and we want to do it all right now and get all of those goals today. But the challenge for most of us who are getting into running, especially often those that are getting into running later in life, is that our aerobic system develops much faster than our neuromuscular or musculoskeletal systems. So if we try to do too much too soon, then what will happen as happens to many is we will break. Our body won't be able to handle it. So you have to think about this volume game, this volume game with a longer term trajectory. And I'll talk a little bit in a later point about how to think about growing volume by percentages from season to season. But ultimately, you want to think about it not necessarily as how much can I do this year, but if I think ahead several years, what can I get to and then work backwards from there and do it in a way that is achieved safely so that you can stay healthy when doing it. Because more than the total number of miles per week that you can run, it's important that you're able to run some miles per week consistently. And if you jump too quickly, you do it all too fast, then your body will revolt. It'll break on you and then you won't have the consistency and then you won't have the volume you're looking for either. So think long term, map it out over a period of years and have a longer term target for volume. And then you can work back using some of my other principles from there on how you can get there and do it in a safe way. So that's point number one here. Think long term. Like everything in this sport, there are no hacks, no shortcuts. You have to think long term. Number two, assume you can do more than you think you can. Assume you can do more than you think you can. I run into this all the time in our sport where we have those that haven't been able to dream about what's possible for them because whether it be implicit or explicit, our sport has told them that they're not good enough to have goals, they're not worthy enough to dream big, that they're, quote, too slow to want what they want. And so oftentimes a lot of the content out there for runners is, is dumbed down, is, is turned into mush because we make this assumption that humans can't handle the principles that, will take, that it will take to get them faster. And so we're constantly bombarded with these messages that if you do too much running, you're going to hurt yourself. If you do too much running, you're going to die early. And honestly, most of that is baloney. So I promise you, regardless of the shape of your body, regardless of your degree of fast, because again, there's no slow, only degrees of fast, regardless of where you are in the pack, you can do more volume than you think you can. Also, It's not going to hurt you if you do it the right way. People come to me all the time and they say, well, I can't run more days per week or I can't run more miles per week because I'll get injured. My body just doesn't handle that. Well, that's not 
true most of the time if you do it the right way. Most of the time that's happening. You're getting injured and you're not able to do more because you're running too hard all the time. You're running four or five days a week too hard and therefore your body's revolting and telling you it's too much. It's not about the days. It's not about the volume. It's about how you're executing on those days. So we'll talk in the later points about how to create that balance that allows you to have sustainability in this. Because believe me, more miles, more days will ultimately make you a stronger, more resilient runner. And you can do more than you think possible if you only a step into it and allow yourself to build there patiently. So please assume you can do more. I get questions often about, oh, what's, what's the minimum number of miles I should be doing to run a marathon or a half marathon or a 10K? And I answered this question recently on a podcast for the Rogue Renegades. What's the minimum number of miles that I can do to run a marathon? My answer was oddly specific, but I said 41. That's five days a week. That's one 20-mile run. That's one eight-mile medium long run. That's one seven-mile speed workout. And that's two three-mile recovery runs. And I'll talk more about how all of that fits together. But I think most people, if I told them that they could do that, wouldn't necessarily believe me. And I promise you, there's not a person that I've coached that hasn't been able to get to that and beyond, regardless, again, of ability, body size, body shape, background, speed, whatever variable you want to assign, I've been able to get people there from all places by doing it patiently, by obviously starting at their starting point, by following all the principles I'm going to talk about today, but just by saying, look, you can do it too, and then stepping into it and doing it. The body is an amazing, magical thing. It is resilient It will adapt to the load if you do it the right way and if you allow yourself to do it. So you have to believe and assume that you can do more than you think possible in terms of volume, but also that you can do more than society may have told you in terms of volume. And of course, there's a tipping point for everybody. You can only do as many miles as you can recover from and what that tipping point is for some people is going to be different depending on a lot of variables their background in the sport, their schedule and stressors, their ability to find space for recovery in their lifestyle. There's a lot of things. And so sure, there are many of us that won't be able to get to 60, 70, 80 mile weeks. But I promise you, you can do more than you think you can. And so I would rather you see, I'd rather see you trying to push that envelope from a place of belief and empowerment versus fear and shame where you're thinking I'm not worthy or I'm too scared to push that envelope. I want you to find that threshold and limit, obviously doing it in a smart way, but again, believing that you can do more and going to see what that looks like, finding that tipping point and that threshold versus running away from it or not even trying. So number two, assume you can do more than you think. Number three, and it's critical, and I talk about this ad nauseum on this podcast, so my apologies for being repetitive, but it bears repeating. If you're going to build volume and do it safely and do it sustainably, then you have to slow down. You have to slow down most of the time. I don't understand the ego that we place on easy run pace. We somehow 
can't get over the fact that if I run a certain pace on an easy day, that it means something about my ego, my ability, my potential, what I can run for race day. We can't divorce ourselves from that idea that somehow easy run pace means something about you that defines you in some way. And the truth is, it doesn't on the faster end, but it does on the slower end. If you can slow down and do your easy runs consistently at slower paces, then that's going to unlock so many different things. One, it's going to unlock, unlock the physiological aerobic development zone that builds aerobic capacity that adds cylinders to your engine. So that's critical. You have to run easy to get there. It's going to unlock the ability to maintain consistency because you're going to be putting less stress on the neuromuscular and musculoskeletal systems. It's also going to unlock ultimately more efficiency at faster paces because when you can become efficient across the pace range at all paces, then that has a ripple effect on the paces around it that will ultimately make you a faster, more efficient runner when you do step it back up to going faster. So those are three things that it unlocks by slowing down. It also unlocks, of course, the ability to, over time, get to volume levels that you never thought possible, but you have to have to slow down. It doesn't work without that. Those slow, easy runs, those slower, easy recovery runs, that's the grease to the wheels that allows this all to work. Because, again, when you're running easy enough, you're not only in the right aerobic zone to build aerobic capacity, which makes you faster in the long term, but you're also in the right zone to keep your body healthy and safe so that you can keep doing it, so that you can have that consistency, so that you can build volume. But it doesn't work. The formula doesn't work unless you commit to slowing down and stop measuring yourself by your easy run pace. I think I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I've run sub 116 for the half marathon. I've run 245 for the marathon. And I don't tell you that to brag. I tell you that because I also run 930 to 10 minute miles on my recovery runs often. Often. You can check my Strava. Often. Because at those paces, again, I'm comfortable, I'm recovering, and I'm in a zone that's helping me build aerobic capacity. And I don't need to go faster to get the benefit of those things on that day. And certainly I go faster when it counts, when it matters, on speed workout days and on the occasional long run day. But I commit to going slower on those easy days because that's what keeps it all together. That's the glue that keeps it together. That's the foundational component that allows you to do all these other things. And without it, it breaks, it falls apart. If you go too fast, again, not only you're in the wrong zone, so you're wasting mileage that way, but you're also going to stress the system in a way that will cause it to break down. So slow down. It's an absolutely critical step to this process of building volume. All right, before we get to number four, I want to quickly talk about my partner, Care Of. They've been a longtime partner of mine. We'll be going on two years here soon that I've been working with them. They're a brand that I use myself and I love because they make it super easy for me to remember to take some of the supplements that matter to stay healthy for me, including things like vitamin D. And here we are with fall just around the corner. So I want to make sure that you're on top of those little changes you need to make to 
ensure your daily routine fits the performance you're trying to seek. So go to their website, takecareof.com, take the quiz because it'll allow you to enter goals. It'll spit out an outcome from that that will tell you the potential options you may want to consider in those daily packs. You can see all the science. You can see all the ingredients when you get that output and then make the decision on what you want included in those packs. You also can add other things that you know you might need outside of that. And then they'll send it to you. So it's subscription-based, so you can do it without thinking about it. And they'll allow you to enable that daily routine so you don't forget to take things that you need, like I was doing before I found care of. They have daily vitamin packs in that box that you'll get. So then you just take one each day. The packs are plant-based and compostable, so you can compost them and feel good about what the impact on the environment might be. And then you just take it day to day. You don't have to think about it. Makes it really simple. And then the next shipment will come when you need it. So go check it out. I've got an offer code for you. You can get 50% off your first order with care of by going to takecareof.com and entering the code rogue50. Again, that's rogue50 for 50% off by simply going to takecareof.com. So go check it out. They're a staple in my daily routine, and I would encourage you to make it a staple in yours. So now let's talk about number four on my list here, getting back to my list of 10 things to help you build volume. So number four, you want to think about volume in the context of a consistent year-round build. Regardless of your starting point, once you start to build volume, the more you can sustain it, over time, the better. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're always at peak volumes because there's a natural ebb and flow with training cycles as there should be. But the more you can be consistent between those training cycles, if you're training for specific races, the better you're going to be when it comes to building volume again when that next cycle starts. So you want to think about what your baseline volume is in addition to how you might be building within a cycle. And so we can talk a little bit about what that looks like in a second. But first, I just want to talk about it within a cycle. Within a cycle, people often think about building their volume so that they reach their peak volume in a week about three to four weeks out from race day. That is how you might see a lot of schedules manifest online. I don't ultimately want you to be in that place. I want your volume to peak eight to nine weeks out or more from race day so that you hit your peak volume in that aerobic strength zone before you get to your race specific zone so that you have the benefit of that aerobic capacity building further out and then that will all pay off that foundation that aerobic foundation will pay off once you get to that race specific phase versus trying to do two things at once in that final phase of training which is both building volume and adding race specific training so build your volume by starting early within a cycle, those early miles in a cycle matter almost more than the later miles because all is a benefit that accumulates by consistent volume. So don't think that those early weeks are throwaway weeks. All those runs matter and it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but to the extent that you can build consistently from the very first week, it will pay off with a compounding effect as you go because you're going to 
build a bigger foundation, which means that you can get to a higher peak. So start early in the cycle. We'll talk in a minute about how to build within a cycle in terms of miles and percentages by week. But ultimately, what I want you to do is start early, try to get to that peak a little bit sooner. And in order to do that, it helps by having a baseline volume year round between cycles so that when you start a new cycle, you're not starting from scratch every single time. So you also want to understand what that looks like. And I want you to think about it in the context of always, always having a consistent routine. So if you're running four days a week consistently or five days a week consistently or six days a week consistently outside of specific recovery periods after a half or a marathon where obviously things might change outside of that, I still want you to maintain that routine as much as possible year round where no matter what, even if you're doing small volume levels each day, that you're maintaining that consistent daily routine year round. And if it's four days a week of three to four mile runs to maintain a baseline or five days a week of three to four mile runs to maintain a baseline between cycles, that's going to allow you to maintain consistency, build a little bit of aerobic capacity during those off peak windows. And then when you start your training, it's going to allow you to build more quickly to those volume levels so that you can get there to that peak volume within a cycle before you switch into that final phase of training. So number four here is be as consistent as you can year round. And again, certainly you're going to have recovery periods after a race. Certainly you're going to have vacations where maybe you don't want to run. That's okay. That's a natural part of the ebb and flow. And if you have a week here or there that's inconsistent, that's okay. But beyond that, you want to be as consistent as possible year round, which will unlock your ability to get to higher volume training levels within each training cycle. And then ultimately will unlock the ability to reach more potential because you're not having that massive detraining effect between your training cycles. So number four, be consistent, have a baseline volume level that you're operating at year round. So that you have a consistent routine. Number five, do it on more days a week than you think. Do it on more days a week than you think. Again, people tell me all the time, I can't run more than X days per week or I'll get injured. Hear it all the time. And yes, if you're running too fast, too many days a week, then yes, you will get injured. But that isn't the problem. The modulation is what's the problem. So if you slow down, as I mentioned in number three, you can do more days a week than you think because those shorter, easy recovery runs become, again, the grease to the wheels, the glue that holds everything together that's going to enable your body to be more resilient with the miles. And easy movement is actually a form of recovery that should help those speed workouts and long runs go even better if you're doing it the right way, if you're executing it in a slow and easy fashion. So you can do more weeks, more days per week than you think. So what I would suggest for those that are thinking about this is just to think in your next training cycle, let me add one day per week. Let me integrate that into my training in a way that becomes baseline. So if you're currently running three days a week, take it to four for your next cycle. Maintain that consistently. Establish that as your new baseline, which would be potentially two recovery runs, one speed workout, one long run. And then if you're at four days a week, think about on your next cycle going to five. Keeping those two recovery runs, one speed workout, one long run, and adding a medium long run that can then build over time. 
And if you're at five days a week and you have time and capacity, there's potential to get benefit from going to six where you add a third easy recovery type day in the context of the overall training. So you'd have three training, sorry, excuse me, three recovery days, one speed day, one long run day, and one medium long run day. I don't typically recommend for most people that they go more than six days a week. There is a time and a place for that, but it's not a schedule that I write very often. That becomes much more of an exception to the rule than anything else because I do believe that for most people, we will benefit from having one day, at least one day completely off every single week. But just think about that concept that you can do more days per week than you think. So take it a step by step at a time. Build one day for your next training cycle. Integrate that so that it becomes a part of your baseline that you're executing year round. And then once you get there and you establish that and you feel good about it, perhaps you consider continuing to take steps beyond. So number five, you can do more days per week than you think, which will unlock the ability to do more volume than you think. Number six, I want you to build days first and then distance. So when we're building and let's say we're starting from scratch, again, ideally you have a year-round consistent baseline, but if you don't or if you had some time away or if you had an injury that might have interrupted your training, I want you to build days first and then add distance. So first thing we do in putting together a build and these next several points will be all about sort of the practical side of putting together a volume build. You want to build days first, add days to your training, and then add distance to those days. We want to establish the routine, create the grease on the wheels, put the glue between those puzzle pieces, and then start to build distance, then start to add volume. That will be a much more beneficial way than adding volume first and then adding days. So when you're building a schedule, I like to, at the most conservative level, Build one day per week first with some baseline level of lower mileage. So if you're comfortable with a three to four mile run and you're doing that three days a week, then the next week do three to four miles four days a week, then the next three to four miles five days a week. And then once you get to that point, you may want to hold for one or two weeks to establish that as a routine and consistently. And then from there, you start to add distance. We'll talk in a minute about what that might look like, but then you can start adding distance to your long run, potentially your medium long run, potentially your speed workout in a way that will be incremental and sustainable, but it starts by days first, then distance. Number seven, when you've established those days and when you start to think about building them, you want to make sure that each day has a purpose, as I already alluded to. Each day should stand out on its own as having a distinct reason to be there. And so that's typically going to, as I mentioned earlier, look like having a long run, which will be your longer run during the week, a medium long run, which will be your second longest run of the week, a speed workout, a quality workout, which will be the day of the week where you actually work speed. And then outside of those three specific days, some other short, easy recovery days, again, that become the glue, that become the lotion in the motion as is lotion equation to keep you healthy as you go. So you want to make sure you've established what those days are and that each hard day has a short, easy recovery day in between it. So you're not putting together quality and speed days next speed days next to each other. And ideally 
you don't have medium long run and long run or medium long run and quality workouts directly next to each other. You typically want to have short, easy recovery runs in between or even an off day in between, but make sure that you have the space and that you know what days are what. For example, in the group that I coach here in Austin, we meet on Wednesday morning for our speed day. So a typical week for them is, is constructed with Monday as a medium long run day. Tuesday is typically an off day, a cross training day, or a short run for those that are running six days a week. Wednesday is a speed day where we're doing our quality work. Thursday is a short and easy recovery day. Typically Friday, Friday is off, but Thursday and Friday could be interchanged if needed. Saturday is a long run, and then Sunday is another short, easy recovery run. That's with a Wednesday workout, Saturday long run. You can also construct it differently where you might have Tuesday as your quality workout, Thursday as your medium long run, Saturday as your long run, and then easy recovery days on Wednesday and Sunday in order to put it all together in a way that's sustainable with that glue in between those recovery runs in between. So you want to make sure that you understand how it all fits together. You understand what those days look like in your schedule and the purpose for each so that you can execute the purpose on those days. And and then as much as anything, when you're thinking about progressing in volume, I want you to think about how those days fit together as much as you're thinking about the total volume itself. I think oftentimes we become too obsessed with the total volume per week number and we think, well, I want X mileage per week. Okay, maybe that's the right number, but also you want to go from the, that's top down. You also want to go from the bottom up and think about, well, how do those days fit together in a way that makes sense? When I got to that 41 number for minimum mileage for a marathoner, I built that bottom up knowing that I'm going to get to a 20 mile long run for marathoners, typically like six or seven miles on quality. I like at least eight, but ideally 10 miles on the medium long run. And then those recovery runs can be much shorter and really just designed to get you moving on a given day to create that blood flow, which promotes healing. So those can often stay in that three to four to five mile range while the long run, medium long run and quality workouts are building. So what I like to do in building a plan is to think about how those pieces fit together. And when I'm thinking about growing in one of those areas, oftentimes the long run is kind of determined by the race that you're, you're seeking. So really it just becomes a question of what am I doing for that medium long run? And what am I doing for that quality workout in terms of volume? And then keep those other runs in the three to five mile range without having to think about it. So where am I from a medium long run perspective and where am I from a quality workout volume perspective? Those become kind of the big questions to answer. And from one training cycle to the next, you want to just think about incremental growth there. Ultimately, like I said, if you're doing six miles for a medium long run now, I'd like to get you to eight in the next cycle. If you're doing eight miles, I want you to think about maybe going to 10 for that medium long run. If your quality run is four to five miles now, I want you to think about building it to six or seven and focus your growth trajectory there in those areas where you're going to get bang for the buck versus thinking about, oh, should it be 40 miles a week or 45 miles a week? Sure, that number matters. And ultimately, you want to see growth 
in that top line number, but it all has to make sense. It all has to fit together in a way that makes sense, that gives you the best bang for your buck in the piece parts as it does in that total volume number. So think about how it all fits together in addition to thinking about that total number. So that's number seven. Before we get to number eight, I want to quickly mention and thank my partner Zencaster. They are a relatively new partner of mine in terms of sponsorship, but they've been a long time service that I've used since really the beginning of my podcasting days because they've enabled me to record remote content in a way that's high quality. Whether that be audio or video, there's magic behind the scenes to make sure bandwidth doesn't mess up that audio quality when I'm recording virtual interviews and having virtual conversations like I had on last week's episode with the Marathon Academy. So if you'd like to use their service, I've got a code for you. You can go to zen.ai forward slash rogue30 and use the promo code rogue30 for 30% off your first three months with them using the Zencaster service. You can also, if you'd like to advertise with content creators and podcasters like mine that use Zencaster, you can go to zen.ai forward slash running rogue. Again, that's zen.ai forward slash running rogue, rogue spelled R-O-G-U-E. You can enter some contact information in the form that will pop up and they will reach out to you to connect you to podcasters and content creators who can help you share your brand story. So either way, Zencaster can help you regardless of which angle you're coming at it from. So thanks again for their partnership. All right, let's jump into number eight. Number eight, I'm going to give you some rules of thumb on how to build volume within a cycle and then across cycles. Within a cycle, you may have heard the 10% rule where when you're building from one week to the next, then you don't want to build by more than 10% from the prior week. I think that rule is a little bit limiting because when you're talking about 10% on 10 miles a week, that's one mile. And really, I think you can build a little bit more incrementally than one mile per week. So I'm going to actually, instead of giving you percentages here, I'm going to give you raw volume numbers that you can use as general rules of thumb as you build to whatever your target might be. From week to week within a cycle, I want to see that you're not building by more than three to five miles from one week to the next. And for most of us, I would ask you to err on the conservative side of that range. So not build by more than three miles per week. That is roughly 10% for a lot of volume levels, but it's a nice conservative place to be when you're building volume and I'd rather you stay on the conservative side here. So three miles for most people and then five miles perhaps when you get a little bit higher and have a little bit more experience on the higher end of the volume range. Think about that as your limit in building from week to week. Oftentimes when you're building from week to week, it will then depend on, can I do this consecutively or do I need some hold weeks within the context of a build? When I'm building someone's volume, I like to see them in general stepping up by two to three to five miles per week from week to week over a consistent period and then periodically holding that mileage for a week to sustain it, to consolidate that fitness gain, and then continuing to build from there. So typically in a build, I'm not necessarily working in down weeks as I get someone to their target volume for a period. I'm having a relatively linear build with the occasional hold week so that you can make sure you're consolidating that work. But you also have to listen to your body 
If your body says at any point this is too much, then feel free to build in those periods where you back off a little bit and then keep building from there. That is a very specific and individualized kind of question to answer. But within the context of that, think about building three to five miles from week to week as you progress to your peak in a schedule. And then from season to season, if you're thinking about your peak volume in this season versus your peak volume in next season, when you might be training across two different race periods, then I want to see you increase by not more than 10 miles per week from one season to the next. I've also said this is not more than 20%, but I think 10 miles is perhaps a better, more absolute term to use or rule to use. So if in the prior season, I had been running about 30 miles per week, I don't want to see you go more than 40. Doesn't mean you have to go 40, but I don't want to see you go more than 40. You could choose to go 35 if that's what's comfortable or if you're concerned that the bigger step up will be more challenging for you. You can, you can choose to go less, but I would let that 10-mile number be sort of a, a limit, an upper limit that you don't exceed because once we start going beyond that, that's again when injuries might pop up. So think about it as 10 miles as that limit from season to season. If you're at 40 in a prior season, don't go more than 50 in the next season and so on. Because that's going to allow you, again, to do it in a way that builds incrementally, builds with consistency, and allows you to stay healthy along the way. So three to five miles within a season from week to week, and then plus 10 miles from one peak to the next across seasons. That's a general good rule of thumb to use. And honestly, for most, you can be more conservative than that and still thrive. So I would think of those as upper limits. So that's number eight. Number nine, I want you to be wary of pushing volume intensity at the same time. I want you to be wary of pushing volume and intensity at the same time. Typically, we can do one or the other, but not both. But I will say, even when you hear that guidance, we have to fudge it a little bit because oftentimes, naturally within a cycle, you're building volume and at the same time, you're building intensity. That's the way training cycles work. But when I think about early in a cycle, if I'm in the priming phase, for example, when I've talked about the priming phase, that's the initial period of often four to six weeks where I'm just trying to establish a foundation and build volume, doing some speed to to stimulate that part of my fitness without overdoing it. But oftentimes with that speed, it might be fast, but with really long recoveries so that it's not as taxing. So when I'm building volume early in a cycle and I'm establishing that base, I want my quality work to be less intense so that I can push on the volume vector without overdoing it by doing both volume and quality and intensity at the same time. Then as the cycle progresses, I might still be building volume into the strength phase, but then typically in the strength phase, what we're doing is decreasing the paces a little bit but also decreasing the recoveries so that I have intensity by way of comfortably hard paces with less recovery, but I'm not pushing the really high end of speed. And so might still be building volume, but I've modulated the speed as I've added more of it. And then going into that last phase, that race specific phase, that's when you can maintain volume, sometimes even pull back volume a little bit, 
while increasing the intensity of race pace work as well as the higher end speed with shorter recoveries so that race pace feels more comfortable. That's something you do at the end to put it all together. But by that point, I like to see you already at your peak volume. So you're no longer pushing on volume. You're just pushing on that quality element as you get ready for your target race. So number nine here is you just have to be wary of those two things. And this is where I have a podcast episode titled The Case for Base. You can search it on any platform, but that's when it may have a place in your training instead of training for a specific race to simply work on building volume in a season so that your primary focus is, can I increase my miles while not really doing too much intensity with workouts, still doing some to maintain that speed, but without specificity so that I can press on that volume vector and do it safely. And then obviously there are times when we want to work intensity and we may during those times pull back on volume to make sure that we can work on that higher end intensity if you're doing a speed cycle where you're working 5K and 10K, for example. So just be wary. doesn't mean the two things can't come together as they often do, but usually there's a primary and a secondary and you want to trade off between the two. Either volume is primary, intensity is secondary, or intensity is primary and volume is secondary. If you try to make both primary, that's where we run into trouble. So just be wary of pushing both at the same time and give yourself space in building volume to make sure you're not overdoing it with intensity when that's your focus. Number 10, overarching rule for all things, but that really, I think, summarizes this episode well is that even in all of these rules I've given you, even in all of the rules of thumb I've given you in terms of three to five miles per week, 10 miles across the season, even in all of that, once you get into it, you still have to listen to your body. So, number 10 is listen to your body along the way and hold volume or cut back volume when you feel you need it. Our instincts are pretty good here. And especially once you get into it and you start to establish some consistency and you add some days and you do it at the right paces, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm running easy, I'm constructing my days in a way that makes sense by putting those piece parts together in a way that's additive, I'm building in a conservative fashion by not increasing too much from week to week or not building by too much from season to season. I'm treating those recovery runs as I should. If you can answer yes to those questions and yet you're still feeling lingering fatigue, not just one run, but maybe across a week of runs or two weeks of runs, that's a sign that maybe there's too much happening and you need to pull back. You need to hold volume until you can consolidate it at that level or you need to pull back. So just listen to your body along the way. Trust your instincts. And if you have a coach, certainly engage them in this conversation. Tell them what you're feeling so that they can be involved and help you make these decisions together. But your body will tell you. It might come in the form of fatigue. It might come in the form of an injury that's popping up. Don't stop doing. Don't cut out running. As I mentioned in my injury episode a few ago. But just hold or pull back a little bit until you can reestablish that good positive feeling 
and then start building again. So always along the way, listen to your body. If you have a plan, certainly try to follow it. But when your body's telling you not, listen to those instincts and hold or pull back here and there until you reestablish that good feeling. You eliminate some of that fatigue and then build again. Because your plan is only as good as the paper it's written on. Once you get into it, you then have to adapt based on what your body tells you. And that might mean making adjustments to the plan and that's okay. Don't just blindly follow the schedule. Listen to your body, make those adjustments, do it confidently, and then build back when you're ready. That's number 10. The overarching rule, which applies in almost all of these conversations, is always, always listen to your body too. And there's a reason I end with that because that trumps all. All right, that's it. My 10 things, I'm going to quickly recap them here. Number one, think long-term with your volume building. Don't try to do it all now. Don't take massive leaps, but think about it over a period of years and not months. Two, assume you can do more than you think because the world is going to tell you, you can't, you can't, you can't, but I promise you, you can if you do it in the right way. Three, slow down. That is the number one variable that matters when building volume is that you're taking those easy runs easy enough. Four, establish that consistent baseline year-round that will make these volume shifts so much easier. Number five, do it on more days a week than you're currently doing now and take those steps incrementally. Number six, build days first and then build distance as you build. Number seven, be aware of how it all fits together. Know what days are which and which purpose you're trying to achieve on each day from the long run day to the medium long run day to the quality day to those recovery days. Number eight, don't build by more than three to five miles from week to week in a schedule and don't build by more than 10 across seasons. Number nine, be wary of pushing volume and intensity at the same time. There has to be one primary and one secondary in order to make it all go. And number 10, listen to your body. And when it tells you to adjust, to pull back, to hold, then do it. So there you go. We will wrap this episode here. Thanks again to my sponsors for this one, Zencaster and Care-of. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Running, you can go to roguerunning.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.